Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. Father, we love you. And God, we just thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you for your presence that can be felt here in this room in Mount Hope, that can be felt in a Summersville campus there uh, as they join in, and the high-risk campus there. Father, I just pray your spirit is there. Every living room, every home, God, whether it's in this area or outside of this area or even around the world, I know there's many people in other countries that join in. Father, I thank you that your spirit is there to speak to them, to lead them, to guide them, to direct them, God, to teach them your word. And so, Father, right now, I just pray against any distraction. God, I know so many people have had so much busyness and chaos that's going on in the world. I know uh, there's people that are in our church right now that are just hurting, God. And, Lord, I just pray that the Holy Spirit just brings comfort, God. God, I pray for the Spencer family. I pray for the Scarborough family, God. I, I, I pray for the Acred family, God. I, I, I pray for the Lilies and those connected with that situation. God, all the, those that are struggling right now because of the loss of a loved one, God. Lord, I just pray that you bring comfort right where they are. And Lord, no matter what, what's going on in our hearts and our lives right now, Father, I just pray for supernatural peace to just fill every room. God, I pray that you silence the lies of the enemy that are playing in people's heads. And that you expose those lies with your truth. God, we thank you that your word is true. When we hear your word and we hear the truth, God, it has the power to bring freedom into our life. So, Father, I pray right now that you bring freedom into every heart, every life, God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I'll tell you what, I've been extremely excited about this message and actually this series, uh, especially when you sit out for four or five weeks because you're having different surgeries and things. You, As a pastor that's used to preaching every week, you start kind of getting, you know, when Jeremiah talked about fire shut up in his bones, I've kind of experienced that in the month of January, just ready to get back and preach. But this series, so much in particular, because really this is a, it, it continues on the vision and everything of, of what uh, Melody brought in the first series, Prepare the Way. This is kind of an addition onto that, uh, the message that Pastor uh, Quentin brought about you know, starting the adventure that God has for us. And you know, last week we opened up this series, and, and I know it's kind of crazy that we open up a series on the book of Acts in Exodus, but I felt last week God wanted us to look, even in the Old Testament, at his original church, you know, old Mo, Pastor Mo, bringing the people out of Egypt and leading them into the, uh, the, the promised land and introducing them to 
uh, Jehovah and their God. And, and we talked about this last week that even in the Old Testament days, I know so many times people think there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. And, and listen, he's the same God and his desire has always been the same. From the Garden of Eden, his desire was to be among his people, to have relationship with his people. But because of sin, there was a separation that was there. But even in the Old Testament, you see God's desire for his people. His desire for relationship. And he would use difficulties and trials to try to bring them back to him and, and try to get them to, to stop seeking the gods of the world and, and everything and to turn their hearts back to them. And, and, and that's where we picked up last week is the children of Israel are in Egypt and they're in bondage. And we talked about how God wanted uh, 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 Moses to, to lead the people of Israel out. He didn't just want the men to come out of bondage. He didn't just want them to come out and have to go back. That God wanted the men to be free. He wanted their, uh, their families to be free. He wanted their kids to be free. And then he wanted them to lead other people into freedom. And we talked about that. The same way in our life, that God wants us to have personal freedom in our life. God wants our family to have freedom to fulfill the call of God. And God wants us to use our lives to bring other people into the same freedom and joy that we experience in our life. But here's the thing, and we're even going to go back to Exodus again and kind of draw a parallel because I think it's very important that we see this. God's design wasn't that when we're free, we just go do whatever we want, and the Spirit of God follows us wherever we go. And there's so many people that that's the way that we live our Christian life. That God paid a price for my sin, and now that God has paid a price for my sin, then I'm going to go live my life and, and fulfill the desires that are in my heart, and I'm going to pray, God, bless me along the way. God, get me out of the situations that I get myself into let me make the decisions in my life, and God, you just bless me in, in my attempts to fulfill the American dream, to be rich and prosperous, and have 2.3 kids, a dog, and a white picket fence. But even in the Old Testament, when you see that God was leading them out of of Egypt. He had the 10 plagues that, that Pharaoh finally said, let them go. And then he led them through the, the Red Sea. And then he closed in the Red Sea to destroy the enemy uh, that was chasing after them once and for all. And let me tell you something. Any of you, when you first got saved, you probably experienced the fact that the devil doesn't want you to go free easily. That the minute that you go free and you start serving God, he doesn't just be like, oh man, I guess I lost another one. Let me just go back over here with the heathens that I have. No, he chases you down. But here's the thing that you have to realize is the blood of Jesus is, will still defeat the, the, the strongholds and bondages that the enemy wants to bring into your life. And that's what we see at the Red Sea. But we also see this. That they were not leaving Egypt alone. And they were not leading God when they left Egypt. 
It says that when they were taking their journey to the promised land, that, that God was leading them in Exodus chapter 13, verse 20. It says, when they set out from Succoth and camped in, in uh, Etham on the edge of the wilderness, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel both day and night. So whether it was bright outside or it was dark, the Spirit of God was still in them. And I think the church has become so afraid of the darkness today because it's like, oh, it looks so dark out there. What are we going to do? You follow the light. God doesn't leave you in darkness. He said, you can travel in the day or the night. My spirit will still lead you. He, he led the people and, and, and out, of the, out of Egypt and out of bondage by day or night. But look at this. And it says, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of cloud by night. He never took it from the presence of the people. In other words, he went with them everywhere they went. And even when they came out of Egypt, you know, the, the book of Leviticus is the first telling of the law. The book of Deuteronomy is when Moses realizes that he's not going to be able to enter into the, the promised land. He still wants that younger generation who is going to be able to go into the promised land. He wants them to know everything that God told him. He wants them to know. He's not even going to rely on the parents to tell them the right thing. He's like, listen, I, call that younger generation to me. I want to let them know what God said says about them. And one of the things that he says is in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6, and this isn't going on the screen. You're going to have to write that down in your notes. It says this, that he will never leave them nor forsake them, but he would go with them all the way. So here's the thing. I love this because God speaks through Moses because he wants to make sure that the younger generation knows, no matter what, I'm going to, I'm going to be with you. No matter where you go, I'm, I'm going to be with you. Like, uh, if, if you'll follow me, I'm, I'm not going to take my presence from you. You may choose to walk away from my presence, but I'm not going to take my presence from you. I will lead you and guide you if you'll just follow me. Just, just follow the cloud. Just follow the fire that I set in front of you. Just follow the path that I've set in front of you. Because, see, the, the kids, as they're growing up, they didn't remember the cloud and the fire probably. Because some of them were probably still nursing. Some of them were still toddlers and all of that. But God wanted to make sure that the younger generation knew that. And I'm going to tell you right now, younger generation, I need you to listen to me. Because I feel like the older generation, we've missed it sometimes. Because we've asked God to bless our deeds and to bless our life and everything like that. And versus following the cloud and the fire, we've been trying to lead the cloud and the fire. Like, God, I'm going over here. You need to come over here with me. Oh, God, bless me here in this situation that I made, in this place that I am. But I'm telling you, kids, listen, don't, you don't have to listen to the, that, that thing. If you've seen the wrong example, God wants you to know he wants a personal relationship with you where he can lead you and guide you and direct you day or night. He doesn't want to leave you or forsake you anywhere that you go. And if the older generation has set a bad example, which if we are honest, we have, 
This isn't angry, pastor. This is realistic, pastor, of saying that, that the church has hid inside the four walls too long and played church in here when God called us to go into the world to make disciples and baptize them and teach them the ways of God. And we've been doing things inside these four walls saying, God, come bless my church. Come bless my songs that I picked out. Come bless the message that I worked on versus saying, God, what is it that you want us to sing? What song do you want to hear this morning, Lord? Because there's people who are a church because they don't like the music that is played because it wasn't their style. But can I tell you something? It doesn't matter if it's your style or not. It matters whether God wanted to hear that song or not. Can we stop being the consumer church that wants God to follow us in our ways and our style and begin to follow the cloud, begin to follow the fire of God and what he wants? And just so you know, none of that's in my notes. So the people in the back are like, where are you, Pastor Brandon? That's just God speaking this morning. Why is it so important that we follow the leading of the Spirit versus trying to lead the Spirit? Let's, let's look even in Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. Verse 16, it says this, it says, after he was baptized, Jesus came up from the water, and behold, the, heaven, the heavens opened up, and they saw the Spirit of God descending down upon him as a dove. Now, this doesn't mean that a bird literally flew out of heaven down. It's a comparison word. The way that a dove would hover down, the Spirit of God came and settled among Jesus, and notice that it says it settled on him. Okay, so it didn't just come upon him and leave. It settled. It took rest upon Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So again, the spirit comes, descends, and remains. And why is that so important? One of the things is, is that John the Baptist was talking and he said, hey, when the spirit of God descends... Uh, uh, and remains, that, that was how, he was asking God, how am I going to realize who the Messiah was? And he said, when the Spirit of God descends and remains, that's who the Spirit of God is. And guess who was baptizing, or the Messiah is? And guess who was baptizing Jesus? John the Baptist. So not only did a voice open up from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, but there was another sign to John the Baptist that this is the man, this is the Messiah, this is the one that you have been preparing the way for. And the other thing that's so important is, you see, when the children of Israel were coming out, when they entered into the promised land, the, the cloud and the, the smoke were no longer there. And a lot of it is because God led them to their, the place where they were going to be. And he, they had, were supposed to set up the temple and, and the tabernacle and stuff for people to be able to worship and the presence of God to be able to dwell among them and everything. But we know that the children of Israel didn't do that. If you read the book of Judges, it's nonstop. They walk away from God. They brought into some type of oppression. They cry out to God. God sends another deliverer. And you got this whole cycle of apostasy that's going on on and everything that's in their life but in the old testament after that point of the cloud by fire and thing because people continually rejected god 
then in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would only come upon people, and then he would descend from people. I'm going to go through a few of these real quick. In Judges chapter 14, verse 6, it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and then he tore it apart the, the, uh, uh, as one uh, tears apart a, a young goat. This is Samson here, tearing apart the, the lion, and it says he had nothing uh, in his hands, but he, and he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So Samson was one of the judges sent to set the, the people of Israel free from the Philistines. A lion rushes upon him one day and he kills the thing with his bare hands. You go at verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 14, you see again, Samson is in a situation where the Philistines are coming upon him. It says, then the spirit of the Lord uh, rushed upon him and the ropes that were tied around him were like flax and burnt with fire and his restraints dropped off from his hands. So again, spirit of the Lord rushed on, he accomplished the thing and he left. And the reason why I showed you two from Samson is because the spirit of God obviously didn't descend upon him and stay because here again, the spirit of God has to descend upon him again at this point, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 10. And this is King Saul. It says, when, they, uh, when he came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets that met him there. The Spirit of God rushed upon him so that he began to prophesy among them. And it came about that all of those who previously knew him saw that he was prophesying with the prophets. And, and the people said to one another, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets as well? And so here you see again, Spirit of God come upon, he prophesies, which by the way, by the reaction that he has here, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you do things that other people are like, what in the world just happened? Did you see Saul? Is Saul a prophet now? What? When was the last time somebody looked at your life and said, what in the world happened to them? Wow. What happened to Matt? Matt is different. Something's different in him. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. This is King David. It says that Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And David, uh, from that point forward, and, and he set out and went to Ramah. Now, in your Bible, based on what translation that you have, there's a phrase in this translation that says rushed upon. Some translations say came upon. Some translations say came mightily upon. But the Hebrew word is tzislach. <laughs> My wife's shaking her head now. And that's because it's not. That's not the way you pronounce it. It's salach. You got to kind of hawk up a loogie at the end there in Hebrew. I don't recommend in COVID days, especially if you took your mask down, that you turn to your neighbor and try to say that word. That's just, that's not the one that you want to do there. But this word means to push forward or to enable them to do something. So in other words, Saul couldn't prophesy before the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Samson wasn't going to be able to tear up a lion with his bare hands before the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He wasn't going to be able to break through before the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. David couldn't lead a nation before the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would fall upon somebody, they would accomplish a task, and then the Spirit of the Lord would raise up. But here we saw with Jesus that the Spirit of God came upon him. It says that he settled there. And then if you go back, the next verse is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, and then Jesus was led by 
the Spirit. You need to underline that on your paper, in your Bible, whatever. Led by the Spirit. Why is that important? Because I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? Jesus is, was in heaven with God at the creation, all of those things. Why in the world is Jesus being led by somebody when he's God? Because this is important that you need to understand. The Holy Spirit isn't some weird ghost like Casper the ghost. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. And he is equal with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three, yet one. And what Jesus is doing is he came to, to earth in a human body. He was born in by humans, human body, so that he could demonstrate to humans, which scripture said he was tempted in every way that we were. You see some of that in Matthew. He was tempted to exalt himself. He was tempted to build his own kingdom. He was tempted to meet his personal needs, even though it was against what God wanted, all the temptations and types of things that we battle with ourselves. Jesus went through this and was led by the Spirit so that he could exemplify to the church what a Spirit-led life looks like. Now, if the Son of God needed to follow the Spirit of God, how much more do we need to follow the Spirit of God? Now, think about this. If you were the devil and you knew that the Holy Spirit was the form of God that lives on earth with us today, what would be one of the first things you would want to convince the people in the church? Oh, well, the Holy Spirit left you, and he went back to heaven. It was only for the days of the apostles. So he's not with you anymore today. He, he can't empower you anymore today. There's no gifts that he offers anymore today. Why? Because then the church is trying to build their ministries. They're trying to do what they want to do. They're trying to promote. They're trying to lift up themselves. They're trying to do all of those things. They're not equipped to do the ministry that God called them to do. Jesus followed the Spirit of God so much that he walked by crippled people and didn't heal them because it wasn't his time to do it. There was a man who was by the temple who was begging all the time. In Acts chapter 3, you see Peter and John show up at the temple, and the man's sitting there begging. And, and Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'm going to give it to you. Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Well, guess what? Jesus went into that temple as well, and that same person was probably begging there. Think about this with Lazarus. Lazarus is, is they, they come and they tell him that he's sick and he's dying. And it says that Jesus waited there for two more days. He's like, oh no, this sickness isn't going to end in death. But it's going to bring glory to God. And then he shows up and Lazarus is in a tomb dead. And like everybody, Jesus, if you would have been here. Then our brother wouldn't have died. Mary and Martha run out to him and said, Jesus, if you would have just been here, then he wouldn't, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say it wasn't going to end in death? It didn't end in death. The end wasn't the grave. Why? Because Jesus walked up to it and said, roll away the, the, the tomb from the front of that grave, the stone from the grave. Lazarus 
Wake up and come out. And it says he came out and then he looks at him and says, Why, get all those grave clothes off him. He's alive. Why, why is he wrapped up? Told you he was just sleeping. Wow, y'all mourning and weeping. Can I tell you something? Whatever situation that you're in right now, if God has spoken a word to you, you can stand on that word. If God told you that your spouse is coming in, they're coming in just because it looks like it, it, it isn't working right now and things look like it's dead and it's hopeless, it's not over. And then after Jesus for three and a half years has his disciples follow him, at the Last Supper, Jesus begins to teach them about what's been taking place and why he didn't heal everybody that was sick. Why did Jesus only interrupt a few funerals and raise people from the dead and not all of them? Why did Jesus walk by certain people and not bring healing to? Because he didn't want to perform something outside of the will of God because God, you remember how we talked about in Psalms 139 that he writes out every day of our life before we even lived one? God had written it out in Peter and John's life that, he, that they were going to heal the man by the gate called beautiful. And so God wanted them, after they received the power of the Holy Spirit, to begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and see the healings and see people set free and delivered in their lives as well. So he starts teaching his, his disciples at the Last Supper about the Spirit of God, and we're going to pick it up there in John chapter 14. And before I get there, how many of you think it's a good thing to see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit? Okay. I know what some people and some books and some pastors may have taught you about the Holy Spirit, but can we look at what Jesus said and think that maybe Jesus knows a little bit more about the Holy Spirit than a previous pastor or the author of a book? Can everybody agree with me on that? Just look at your, all right. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another helper so that he may be with you forever. Now, remember, what was the promise in the Old Testament? I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I will go with you all the way to the end. Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to pay the price that's going to make a way where the Spirit of God can lead you the way that he's led me. To where the Spirit of God will never have to leave you nor forsake you, but he can go with you all the way to the end the same way that he has me. He says, and the helper is going to be a spirit of truth, and the world cannot receive him because it does not see him nor know him. That you, uh, but you will know him because he will remain with you. And then here's a, another thing. And now he will be in you. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I know in the Old Testament that Saul, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and Saul prophesied. And then the Spirit of God departed from Saul. I know that the Spirit of God came upon Samson, and Samson did some mighty feats and things. But then the Spirit of God departed. There's a changing in the guard. There's a changing of the way that things are going to happen now. No longer will the Holy Spirit just come up on people to equip them to do something. 
Because the disciples to this point, you remember in Luke chapter 10, they went out and he said, hey, I'm going to send you out. And so he sent out 70 people and the disciples and they went through the, the town and they were healing the sick and they were casting out demons and they were, they were performing miracles and everything. Why? Because at that point, the spirit of God had came upon them and equipped them to do something. But then later, the spirit of God would depart because you find other times when they're trying to cast out demons and they can't cast out the demon. But now he's saying, now the Spirit of God is going to remain in you. And it's going to be a little different this time. He's not just coming on you, but he's going to come in you. So here, we're going to look at a couple of things that we see here with the Holy Spirit. The first one is this, is the Holy Spirit is God with you. He said he's going to leave and the Spirit of God will come with you forever. That word forever is the Greek word ion, which means forever, an unbroken age. And then in case that's not enough, eternity. So <laughs> if the Spirit of God was coming upon people and coming within people, and Jesus even said this gift of the Spirit, I think Peter said it. The Spirit of God is not just for the people that are here, but for the people who are far to come. That term when it says far to come in Acts chapter 2, or, or far away, it doesn't mean by location, it means by time. It's a chronological statement, not a geographical statement. And, it, and it, so the Spirit of God would now come upon people, come within people, and not leave them through eternity. Second thing is this, is it says the Holy Spirit is our helper. The, uh, the, that word there in the Greek is parakletos, or parakletos, which means it, that it's someone who is summoned, someone who is called along one side, especially called to one's aid. And so there's kind of like a word picture with this. Anybody of y'all have, you know, you had little kids and when they, little kids, they used to like to climb across the monkey bars and then probably a few of your kids probably fell off of the monkey bars and kind of reached back and, you know, kind of broke that arm or something like that. And, you know, the picture of this, you know, when your kids are really little and they're trying to climb across the monkey bars, what do you do as a parent sometimes? You go right below them and you, you're walking right alongside them, right? Some of you may kind of, you see they're kind of slipping a little bit, so you just grab them a little bit by their feet and just hold them just a little bit until they gather their strength again. They get a little tired. You're like, it's okay, and you're just, you're still doing it, but yet you're holding all the weight, right? <laughs> That's the picture here, that the Holy Spirit wants to be your helper. So many people are afraid that the Holy Spirit is so disappointed in them, and they're, they're afraid, but the Holy Spirit's like, okay, you're stumbling a little bit. I got, I got you. Just catch your breath. Hey, it's going to be all right. If you confess that sin, I'll forgive it. Come on, let's, let's, not, let's not quit and go back. Don't, don't, don't quit. Come on, let's go. But then there's an explanation that they kind of expound on the definition a little bit on parakletos, and it means this. It literally, in, in reference to the Holy Spirit. So this is specifically when it's talking about the parakletos of the Holy Spirit, that word. In reference to the Holy uh, Spirit, he is destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after the ascension to the Father. To lead them into a deeper knowledge 
of the gospel gospel truth, to give them divine strength needed to empower them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. Come on, how many of you ever felt weak? How many of you have, 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 have wanted a deeper desire to learn this word and understand the word of God more? Guess who God sent to teach you? Guess who God sent to empower you? The Holy Spirit. But the devil has convinced so many people, even Christians, that the Holy Spirit is weird. Like, have you seen people when they're under the power of the Holy Spirit? And Listen, the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are. <laughs> I'll... Think about this. Parents, have your kids ever misrepresented you? Why are y'all laughing? Have they ever done something that you're like, like, there's sometimes when I have to pull my kids apart aside and I'm like, hey, listen, not pull them apart. That would be rough. <laughs> pull them aside and say, hey, listen, that's not the way the Hollies act. That's not who we are. That's, that's not what we do. The Hollies don't quit. The Hollies hustle. We might not be the best at something, but we're not quitters. We're going to do whatever we can, and we're going to get up, and we're going to go on. We're, like, there's certain times that we have to, and there are times when people, they feel the Spirit of God. And, I mean, Jeremiah even said when the Spirit of God came upon him to preach the Word of God, it was like fire shut up in his bones, and he didn't know what to do with it. And sometimes when the Spirit of God comes upon people, their natural reaction of trying to house this holiness and this power and everything comes across in a weird way. But it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is weird. And from this point, Jesus' followers and his disciples have been following Jesus as he followed the Spirit. But Jesus is saying, now... I know you've been with me, but I'm going to go be with the Father. And so I need to teach you about the Holy Spirit so that you can follow him the way that you followed me. In verse 26, he said, The helper is going to come, and the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you. And he will remind you of all the things that I've said. See, to this point, Jesus was their teacher. And so if they needed to understand something, they didn't understand a parable that Jesus taught, and they could pull Jesus aside and say, hey, like, I know when everybody else was around, we were just amening you, and like, yeah, that's good. Preach it, Jesus. But what did you mean by that? Like, <laughs> just, could you give us the inside information? I mean, it sounded good, but could you break that down? He says, listen, now, I want the Holy Spirit to teach you. See, this is another area where we've missed it as a church because so long we've relied on the pastors to teach us the word of God and the teachers to teach us the word of God and the evangelists to teach us the word of God. And we, we, we need that. But can I tell you something? You have a personal tutor who wants to meet with you every day to open up the word of God. 
And he doesn't want you to have to go through me to get a revelation of the word of God. He doesn't even want you, I, th- I think some of us, like when we go on version, we just read what everybody else read and wrote their little commentary or read books and stuff. And I, and I think it's great to read books and things about God and, and about scripture and, and those types of devotionals to encourage you and that type of thing. But if you're not going to the word of God for yourself, then you are missing out on having a personal tutor in the Holy Spirit. And that's the third thing is, is the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And that word in the Greek for teacher is didasko, which means to impart instruction or to instill doctrine. I would tell you something. Like, as a church... And the American church and stuff, a lot of times if we don't agree on every single point of church, we're like, well, we can't worship together. We can't come together and worship together because I think that it's this and you're saying that it's that and, and, and all of that. And listen, the things that we have to agree on is that the word of God is the unaired word of God and that what it says, we need to try to live out and fulfill what it says. The second thing is, is that Jesus is the only way into heaven, and no man can come to the Father except by him. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, when it comes to worship style or things like that, then there are going to be progressive things that the closer we get to God, that God begins to teach us and reveal things to us to where we understand things in a greater way. So just because we don't see eye to eye on things now doesn't mean that we can't worship together, serve together, change the community together. Because this is what he says, listen, the Holy Spirit will come and impart the instruction, and if you're off doctrinally, guess who can get you right in line? Because over the course of time, even me and my wife, as much as we agree on vision in the church and direction for the church and ministry and all those things, there are still probably things doctrinally that we're just like, you know what, we're not 100% there in agreement on that. And you can agree with, with you can, you can believe what you believe, and I can believe this, and as long as it's not total heresy. Because I can tell you this, over the course of time, I grew up crazy charismatic, and Melody grew up conservative Baptist. <laughs> and over the course of time, we have come closer and closer and closer together. Because what I found is there's no denomination that has perfect doctrine, And so we need to not just go to churches who are going to teach us to repeat their doctrine and have to say it word for word and defend our doctrine. There's too many people that are defending their doctrine versus letting the word of God speak. And if you went back to the word of God and just read the word of God for what it says, you probably wouldn't come up to the same doctrinal conclusions. And there comes a point in a spiritual maturity of a believer that you have to go and say, okay, God, I know everything that I believe and everything, but God, if I am wrong in something, then I need, to, I need you to show me because I don't want to lead anybody astray doctrinally and be a stumbling block for anybody. Holy Spirit, show me. And I can tell you, me and Melody, at the time we met, we probably were at some pretty extensive ends on some of that thing. 
But during that time, we were both in Bible college and everything. We're studying and seeking God and everything. God just kept moving us closer and closer and closer and closer together. And the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Can we allow him to teach us? And so I challenge you. Part of the reason why, every time I teach you on something like the Holy Spirit or something that can be doctrinally divisive, take what I say, go study it yourself. Go study it yourself. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you to do this. Go open up John 14, 15, 16. Go open up 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. And read those passages of Scripture and say, Holy Spirit, I know what I've been taught. But Pastor Brandon said today that you want to be my teacher, and Jesus even said you want to be my teacher. So even if I can't believe Pastor Brandon, I can believe Jesus. So Jesus, your word says you want to be my teacher. Teach me. And if you still disagree with me, then get out of there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Because there's some things that, like I preached today, that years ago I didn't agree with what I say. Because the Holy Spirit's still teaching me. And he's still revealing things to me. And what I'm asking you to do is let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. He goes on and says, when the helper comes, whom I will send uh, to you from the Father, namely the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. And you are testifying as well because you have been with me from the beginning. Fourth thing is this, is that the Spirit of God testifies of Jesus. Can I tell you, the Spirit of God always points people to Jesus. He never distracts people from Jesus. Okay? That's where Paul starts talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. And really in the end of 13. Some of those passages that people have used to saying, well, there's no more prophecy, there's no more things like that in Scripture. Well, remember, 1 Corinthians is a letter, and it's written in context, so when he says prophecies will fail, can I tell you something? There's a lot of prophecies we just saw fell over an election. That one stung a little bit. But it's true because some people prophesy in the name of Jesus, but they're not really speaking the word of Jesus. And here's the thing that you can understand. Listen, if a prophecy goes against what the word of God clearly has already written, then you can tell that that prophecy is not from God. Because the Spirit of God testifies of Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word came and dwelt among us in, in flesh, and he dwelt among us. Remember? So the Spirit of God is never going to tell you something, divine revelation that you have now, that goes against what he's already written in the Word. God speaks the way that he writes. And so that's a sure sign that somebody is telling you something 
that goes against the word of God. When God gives you special exemptions to your situation that he didn't give to everybody else. Okay? So he always points people to, not distracts from. And again, 1 Corinthians 14, that's what Paul is saying. Listen, guys, I know y'all are excited about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And I speak in tongues more than anybody. But if I'm in a big group of people, especially where there's unbelievers that are in that room, then I'm going to speak five words in English because it would be a whole lot more effective than 10,000 words in tongues. Because God is not the author of confusion. And so this is where there's a balance in things. Because one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of tongues. However, the gift of tongues is only supposed to be used as a personal prayer language or when you're among other believers who understand the Spirit of God. Can, can I tell you a little secret, though? Or when you're doing it, nobody else can hear you. Because there's not a single sermon that I ever preach that I'm not on the front row. And it's easy to hide it now because I got a mask. <laughs> I never want to get up here and preach without the Spirit of God. Never. The minute I do that, we need to just shut down the doors. Because nobody would listen to me for 41 minutes when I'm only supposed to preach for 35. <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and go on because y'all are still leaned in. Are y'all good? Y'all with me? I promise I'm getting there. I'm almost done. He goes on, John 16, verse 5. It says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And no one asks of me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. Can you imagine if you've been following Jesus around, you, you left everything for Jesus for three and a half years. And now Jesus has just told them, I'm gonna die. And you're like, you got the grief and you're overwhelmed by grief but I'm going to raise again. So now you're overwhelmed with excitement. But I'm going to heaven and I'm not going to be here with you. <laughs> I mean, it's just like a, it's the opposite of a compliment sandwich. You know, I mean, it's like a depression sandwich. Like I'm dying, I'm going to be with you, but I'm leaving you again. You know, it's just kind of that roller coaster of emotions. But then he says, but I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage. That I'm leaving. Because if I do not leave, the helper will not come. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. That seems a little bit crazy as to how it's better that the Holy Spirit be here than Jesus in the flesh. But you remember when, I believe it's in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is preaching inside this house. And everybody's pressed in. And you got people standing outside the house. But there's this crippled man who needs to get to Jesus. But they can't get him there. Why? Because Jesus is in one location and everybody's around him and nobody can get to him. So they have to go around, they have to climb up on the roof, and they have to open up the roof and let him in. 
Now, in this time, it was more of thatch roofs and everything like that, so it was a little bit easier. But can you imagine if Jesus was up here on the pulpit and he's preaching a message and then they got to tear off all the steel and then they got to go through the different layers of, of, of uh, you know, trusses and everything. Like somebody needs to be healed and they got to rip off a roof every time you got to get to Jesus. Because Jesus was limited to be in one location. But the Holy Spirit's not. And that's why he can lead all of us. See, in the Old Testament, everybody was heading the same direction. They're all heading to the same promised land. In the New Testament, every one of us and our families, we have a call of God that's on our life. And as sad as it is, sometimes the call of God is going to lead us in different directions. Because some people need to go live on the mission field. Some people need to go help plant churches. Some people need to go serve in other areas. But it's not like they have to leave the Spirit of God in order to fulfill the call of God. Because remember, Jesus said he wants to come with you, and he wants to come in you. And he will lead you and guide you in all truth. And so we all have our personal tutor in the Holy Spirit, our direction, our, our pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night that can lead us in our daily life and teach us versus all trying to get around one. And Ryan, you can come on up. Verse 8, he continues, and I'm going to shotgun three off to you real quick. He says, in the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. <laughs> you look in the world today, and you can see a whole lot of people that don't believe in God. But can I tell you something else before we get too judgmental of the world? There's a whole lot of people inside the four walls of a church who live like they don't believe in God. Sin is not just sins that you commit. Sometimes sin is sins that you omit. There's a whole lot of people that are inside the four walls of a church that God has said, go and make disciples. And they're like, nah, Pastor Brandon, you do that. That God has said, go pray for the sick, visit the poor, feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, give clothes to the naked, visit the prisoner. Nah, nah. I'm, I'm busy. I got, I got sports going on. And I got, you know, moving into this new house. I mean, I'm going to church every week. That's an hour and a half. And when Pastor Brandon goes long, it's an hour and 45 minutes sometimes. Jeez. I mean, he said, regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you no longer are going to see me regarding judgment because the ruler of this world look at this, has been judged and so the enemy is his, his punishment is already settled Satan already has been judged he knows where what his eternity holds and he hates you so much 
that he's going to do everything he can to take you with him and get you to face the same judgment that he's going to face. But that's why the Holy Spirit first convicts of sin. Because he he doesn't want you to face the judgment for the sin that's in your life. He wants you to realize the sex outside of marriage is not a good thing. I know what the world says. Teenagers, I know all the limits that the world says is good with Snapchat and photos and FaceTime and all of these things. But we do not allow our dating relationships to be defined by the world. Because the enemy of this world has already been judged and he's trying to drag you right there with him. You need to let it be defined by what the Word of God says. But it's not just teenagers. Men and women living together and things outside of marriage. Just pull the Beyonce song and put a ring on it and get married. It's better to... It's better to be married. Get, get it right with God. I remember there's one point in church where I did eight weddings in a quarter, about a month because I said something about you're living together and you're in sin and God wants you to, to get your marriage right and do things right. And I believe it was like, it was like wedding after wedding after wedding, people coming into the office and in, in the office on a Thursday afternoon, downstairs on Roy Acres Drive over by Huntington Bank and just performing a wedding right there. Why? Because people were convicted of sin. Listen, they don't need to be condemned by sin. They need to be convicted. So it's not our job to rub their face in it. It's our job to point it out, point to truth, and show them the, the way to Jesus. So number five, go ahead and put it up. He convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. Number six, and he warns of judgment to come. And then even Jesus, he ran out of time with them. He said, I have many more things I want to say to you. But people are getting hungry and they can't bear it. When the spirit of truth comes, Pastor Brandon's clock is in red, red, red right now. His his countdown timer was red and flashing too. He can't bear it at the present time. But he, the spirit of truth... He will guide you in all truth. Because he's not going to speak on his own. But whatever he hears, he will speak. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus did? Jesus said, I can't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. And that's the same way in the Spirit of God. He ain't going to go rogue and try to take over. You can trust him. What he speaks to you, he's going to speak what the Father says. He would disclose to you what is to come. So even when the world is in chaos, you can be calm because God already directs and shows us what's going to happen. He will glorify me and he will take from mine and he will disclose it to you. Guys, the Holy Spirit isn't some ghost you need to be afraid of. He's someone that you desperately need in your life. And can I tell you something? When you're saved, the Spirit of God moves in. But just because he moves in doesn't mean that you're acknowledging him. 
And I think the transition for some people is that we become more aware of who the Holy Spirit is and allow him to begin to teach us. We become more aware of who the Holy Spirit is and we begin to ask the Spirit of God to reveal what his perfect will and plan is for our life. One of the things that we do as a church is we don't make any decision until we pray about it and the Spirit of God speaks to us and shows us even in the Word of God when we bought this piece of land that we are up here on, we went and looked at a bunch of different pieces of land and that night I told the elders, I was like, hey, go home and pray and see what you feel like God speaks to you through this. And since Pastor Jimmy is the holiest of us all, by the time he got home, he opened up his Bible and he sends me, I think it's Proverbs 8, 1. At the heights this is the highest point in this development at the crossroads which this is crossroads drive across from crossroads mall in the crossroads development wisdom takes her stand all right that's the one and you know later the guy who sold us the land even offered us the roadfront land which was a whole lot worth a whole lot more money but if we would have bought it, we wouldn't have been able to do the school and everything because we would have been landlocked. Wouldn't have been able to extend. But when he offered it to me, I told him, I said, I can't do it. He's like, well, why? And I told him that scripture. And he just looked at me and he's like, well, all right. <laughs> but then he saw everything that we've done and he's even told people, hey, hey, preacher Brandon, Tell them that that verse that y'all got is why y'all moved up there on that hill. Like he, he tells people all the time and stuff. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. He's one of the best gifts you could ever ask for. It's time to acknowledge him. Allow him to be our cloud by day and our pillar of fire by night to lead us even in dark days and dark times to be who God's called us to be. The Holy Spirit is there to be with us, to help us, to teach us, to testify and to point people to Jesus, to convict of sin, convict of righteousness, and to warn us of judgment to come. Are we listening? I want you to bow your heads just for a second. I want you... Just say, God, what are you speaking to me? <sighs> Holy Spirit, I know I've spoke a lot of things today. But now I ask that you just personalize this message to every single heart, God. Because you know exactly what each individual heart needs to say. God, I covered a lot of material, covered a lot of information, God. But I ask that you break it down right now and you begin to teach them what you want to do in their life. God, for some of them, it's salvation. They've been convicted of their sin and they realize that they need you in their life. If that's you and you, 
you realize there's sin in your life and you know you want to get it under the blood of Jesus, I want you just to slip up your hand real quick. Nobody's looking around right now, but if you're in here and you know if you're online, I see that hand. If you're online and you need and, and you need somebody to pray with you, I just want you to ask somebody. Online there, just click the prayer link. For those that raise their hand, I want you just to say, God, I need you in my life. I realize that I'm a sinner, but I believe that your son died for me. So Holy Spirit, come into my life. Lead me, guide me, direct me, teach me. Show me Jesus. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.